Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 26 together. Um, as we continue through Deuteronomy, uh, we come to chapter 26. I want to read the verse, verses 1 through 15 today. And uh, it's, you know, it's a decent-sized passage, so, so do the hard work of sticking with me here and, and paying attention to the Word and doing your best to give your attention now to the Word. And then I'll pray, and um, we'll look at the, the message points together. Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse 1. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, take some of the first of the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God has given you and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying in the presence of the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great, powerful, and populous nation. But the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, I have now brought the first of the Lord's produce that you, Lord, have given me. You would then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites, and the resident aliens among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. When you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then you will say in the presence of the Lord your God, I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house. I have also given it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows. According to all the commands you gave me, I have not violated or forgotten your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning or removed any of it while unclean or offered any of it for the dead." I have obeyed the Lord my God. I've done all you commanded me. Look down from your holy dwelling from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you swore to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we look to your word today and we look to these rather specific commands given to a specific group of people at a specific time in redemption history God, I pray that we would see what is relevant here for our lives today. God, that we would learn what it means to give in a way that honors you, that we would learn what you desire from us, not just from the Israelites of old, but how we ought to conduct our giving as an act of worship to you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so it's an interesting passage. Not, we're hopefully accustomed to this in Deuteronomy now. Sometimes you look at the passage and go, okay, that's very interesting. I'm not sure what this has to do with us because you have the, the Israelites who are about to go into the promised land 
after wandering for 40 years in the desert and God is instructing them how to, how to live and how to do certain things when they get into the promised land. And th- this passage that we're looking at today is actually instructions for, for two different offerings. The passage splits between verses 11 and 12 and everything before verse 12 is instruction for an offering that they are to give the first time they harvest from the land that God is giving them. And then from 12 on, it's instructions for an offering that they are to give the third year that they harvest from the land that the Lord is giving them. Now, we're not going into the promised land And we're not harvesting from a land that was promised to our forefathers and given to us the way this was for the Israelites. Nonetheless, I think there's incredible information in here about how we can give in a way that honors God. Just like with any part of of God's revelatory word, we can learn a lot about what he desires, how he desires for us to relate to him and respond to him how we can conduct ourselves. So let's take down some notes. If you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, please get that out. would love for you to grab a pen in front of you or if you have one on you already. Let's just fill in these blanks. The first, the first statement that you'll see on the handout is this. Giving is an acknowledgement that everything comes from God. Giving is an acknowledgement that everything comes from God. As you write that down, I just want to add, what, how we handle our finances and how we conduct ourselves in terms of giving is, I think, one of the most important parts of the Christian walk. And yet, among churches that desire to, to be faithful to the word and to preach the Bible accurately, We don't talk about it nearly as often as we ought to, including this church. Now, you might say, that's ridiculous. All churches talk about is money. Or you may have experiences where money was talked about every week. But I think that there are churches like that. But the reality is, is that money is one of the most common subjects in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and yet it doesn't always get a lot of attention from the pulpit in our culture, and that's because us preachers are afraid to talk about it. Because we know the, the sensitivity of this subject. It's, it's not that the Bible isn't clear about what God intends to convey regarding money and giving. It's It's that our culture has a love of money that as soon as we start talking about giving, walls go up. And I want to invite you today to to put those walls down and just hear what the word of God has to say because I think there's some real gems in this passage. One, giving is an acknowledgement that everything comes from God. The instruction that Moses gives is they're to go into the land the first year and they're to, to gather some of that initial harvest and as a celebration of the fact that they are doing something as a nation for the first time that was promised or that was, that was foretold hundreds of years ago that has not been fulfilled until this generation. 
500 years before Moses, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. But in the meantime, before they inherited this land, they, for, for, uh, of course, they grew and become a, a much larger nation than Abraham's immediate family. But they had been, for hundreds of years, slaves in Egypt. And then most recently, for the last 40 years, they've been wandering in the desert with no, no farmable land to speak of. And all of their sustenance, all of their food and provision came miraculously from heaven in the form of manna and quail. These people have never had a garden or a farm of their own. And here they are, the fulfillment of hundreds of years of God's redemptive work, hundreds of years of God building this nation, hundreds of years of Delayed fulfillment of promises are now about to give way to the first harvest. For the first time in history, Israel's going to be on the land and they're going to be growing crops and God is going to provide for them. So he tells them, when you harvest that first harvest, Take some of it, put it in a basket, place it before the altar of the Lord your God, and then say this. There's, there's, in each of these two offerings, there's a script that he gives them. This is what you are to say. And it goes like this. My father was a wandering Aramean. That's a reference to Joseph. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great, powerful, and populous nation. But the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey. Then, verse 10, I have now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. This is, this is about to be a party. This is about to be a celebration un, unlike anything that they've experienced before. They're going to go, they're not in the land when Moses te tells them this. They're going to go in the land they're going to occupy this land. They're going for the first time in their lives have property, have homes to live in, have fields to cultivate. And God is going to bring a harvest. And then collectively as a nation at the first harvest, each person, each family is going to gather some of their harvest and they're gonna bring it together in the house of the Lord and they're gonna celebrate. And they say, God, look what you've done. Look what you have provided. I think farming's an interesting example of this point that giving is an acknowledgement that everything comes from God because when you farm, there's a unique relationship between your labor and God's provision. Because on, on one hand, there's a whole lot that, that looks like you're bringing this about. You choose some land, 
You till the land, you get it ready for planting, you buy or acquire seed, you plant seed, you, 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 um, you, know, you, you tend this garden, you weed, you, you, cause, you, you, well, you wait for these things to grow, but you aid them, you assist them. If you've got tomato plants, you tie them to stakes, uh, or you put a fence around your garden so nothing comes up. There's a lot that you do, then you go out and harvest. And yet every step of the way, there's this should be, ought to be this realization that unless, the God, unless God blesses and does his part, none of this is going to go anywhere. It's God who gave the land. It's God who created the seed. It's God who, who caused seeds to, to germinate and to sprout and to yield a harvest. It's God who sends the sun to warm the soil. It's God who sends the rain to water the plants. And most of us haven't depended for our livelihood on farming. Some of us perhaps have, but if you've ever been in that position, you know it's a scary thing to put everything you have into the ground and to trust that God is going to bring a harvest. But what's beautiful about that is that's the way everything is. Even though we don't recognize it all the time, even though we don't realize it, when we go to work, we go to work because God gave us life. He gave us energy. He gave us ability to work. He provided for the company that provides our job. And when we get paid, it is a gift from him. You're like, but I labored. I did. But he gave you the ability to do that. And if he ever decides to take that ability away, there's nothing you can do about it. Everything is a gift that comes from God. Giving acknowledges this. When we give to the Lord, when we give of, of what he has given to us, it ought to be a reminder, this came from you. Friday morning, I did a funeral uh, at, a, at a cemetery. I did a funeral for a friend. I posted in the Facebook group a little while ago about that. And the cemetery that he was being buried at, I'd only, only been to one other time. And I remember that as I was pulling in. That one other time was 25 years ago when I was 16 years old. A friend of mine died in a car accident due to drunk driving. He was 15 years old. And he's buried in this cemetery. And as I pulled into that cemetery, I thought, man, 25 years of living 25 years of getting up every day and breathing the air that God has given to 25 years of meeting my wife and starting a family and going into 25 years, graduating, all of, all of the life that he did not get to live. And it made me just stop and go, everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I have is because he gave it to me. Giving reminds us that we are dependent upon God. Number two, giving is an act of worship. You'll see this next on the handout. Giving is an act of worship. I'm looking at verse 10, halfway through verse 10. And this is, again, instructions for this first initial harvest when they're in the land. 
says, you will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. So after you say, you know, I don't know if they were to recite this script verbatim, word for word, or, or how that looked, or if they even did this. I just know Moses gave this instruction. Bring your offering and say this. And then he says, then you will take the, place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites, and the resident aliens among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. I think, just picture this scene when, when they would all bring their baskets forward. There, I mean, this just had to be a massive offering. It's kind of it's like, on a much smaller scale, the way we, we bring in our shoeboxes and we put them up here intentionally because we wanted to remind you, first of all, to bring your boxes in, and we, but we also wanted to see the, the cumulative effort that, that, or the cumulative impact that we could have by all doing a little bit. Well, think about this. If we were all to bring in every, every time we gathered, a, a, little, a, a little bit, of, let's say we're farmers, say we're an agrarian culture and we all farm, and, and we come together and we bring a basket of produce, man, we'd fill the front of this place. And what a visual that would be. And the, the point here is that this was to lead them to worship. Place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. It's a celebration. It's an act of worship. When they were to give, they were to, to give in a way that says, God, you are great. Look what you've done. It's right here. You know, currency is so different for us. We don't, we don't currency isn't just produce and physical things. Most of us never see like any of our money, right? It's all electronic now. You, your, your paycheck comes directly into your bank account. You pay your bills from that bank account. You, don't, you, you hardly ever take out money anymore. It's, it's just something that kind of happens in some invisible realm that I know nothing about. But there it is. It's, it's all going on. Nonetheless, we need to be reminded when we give this as an act of worship. Maybe we don't physically handle. I do my giving online. All of my giving, actually, all of my giving, all of my regular giving is automated. I don't, even, I don't even click any buttons anymore. It's all automated to just happen. And because that's very convenient and that's very helpful and, and because I'm the type of person that would often forget or say I'll do that later, it's better that I do it that way because the people that are depending upon my giving are assured to get it, which is nice. But the downside of that is I'm not, I'm not physically being reminded of God's goodness. And so I have to be intentional. I have to remind myself. I do, one thing I do get is I do get emails saying, your gift was processed. And oftentimes I'll stop and, and just thank God. That's awesome. Because God has given to me, I am able to give as an act of worship to him. The next one, this is my favorite point in this whole passage and in, in this whole message Giving makes ministry possible. Giving makes ministry possible. You're going to see in this passage that giving isn't just about the giver. It is, 
it is an acknowledgement that God gives everything, that everything comes from God. It is an act of worship on the giver's part towards God. But then God takes those gifts. He takes what is given to him. He translates it. This is what I love about giving to the Lord is he takes what is earthly and temporary and so quick to disappear and he, he translates it. He uses it to accomplish something that is eternal and something that is for his glory. He uses our gifts to make ministry possible. Listen to verse 12. It says, when you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, we're on to the second offering now, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Here's what you need to know about these different groups of people. The Levites, first of all, are one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and God gave clear instruction that the Levites were to serve as the priests of, of the Israelite nation. And so as priests, when they go into the promised land, everybody's going to get land. It's gonna, the land is going to be divided up family by family. Certain tribes are going to dwell in different parts of the land. And within that, that land that is designated for your tribe, you, if you're a head of household, will be given a plot of land unless you are a Levite. The Levites get no land. They are to go and they are going to serve as the priests for the nation. And as the priests, they will live solely off of what is given to them. And that will be, that will be their food and that will be their sustenance for life. So imagine raising a family. Imagine living your life and not farming and thinking, boy, I hope the people will decide to give this year. <laughs> and so these offerings were to come in. You also have this group, the resident aliens. These were people who were not of Israelite descent, but who had joined with the Israelites. Some of them had joined uh, while they were wandering in the wilderness. Some of them will join later. They'll come and they'll live among the Israelites. They're not going to receive land. This is the land that God has given to the Israelites. And so, but they're going to live among the Israelites. And so they're going to be in the same situation. They cannot go out and farm and, and produce their, their own food. And so they're dependent upon the giving of those who are farming. Fatherless children, these are orphans, obviously don't have land, don't have the ability to go out and support themselves. Widows, widows would be in the same situation. What a, what's so interesting about this is that God has provided a way to feed all of them. He has, he has all of them in mind. And if the Israelites do what they're supposed to do, there'll be more than enough to go around and everybody will be, as it says here in verse 12, so they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. That was God's plan. But it's the giving of the people that makes that ministry possible. Now, again, they, they live in a culture. There were other forms of currency in their culture, and, and there was instructions for giving of those other forms of currency as well. But this is very similar to what I saw last year when I was in Malawi. In Malawi, they grow corn. Everybody grows corn. 
the reason they one of the reasons they grow corn is because once you harvest corn, you can take the the kernels and grind them into this like corn flour, and it will uh, it will stay for a very long time, and you can live off of that for the rest of the year. And that's what they do. The whole nation lives off of this. It, it, it's called sika, and it kind of looks like mashed potatoes, but it's a little bit drier. But it's it's white like that. And what it is is it's it's corn flour that they've cooked and, and added water to, and that keeps all year, and that is the main staple of their diet. Now, if you're doing okay, and, and they eat that like three meals a day, and it's funny because it has a, has, a, has a particular smell to it. As I was going around Malawi, I was, like, I was like, everything smells the same here. Everybody smells the same. It wasn't bad. It was just a distinct smell. And I was like, what is it? Why does this whole country smell? And then I ate Sika and I was like, oh, it's Sika. They smell like Sika. Everybody smells like this because they eat it all day. And, but if you're doing well, you add some vegetables for some of your meals. If you're doing really well, you add some meat a couple of times a year, but you live off of that. And so corn is like a, a currency there. Now, they have currency, they have money, they have government-issued paper money, but for, for poor people, they just need corn. They don't need money. They don't, they don't necessarily have bills to pay. They live basically in the wilderness, and this is what they live off of. And so we see a picture here of exactly how God designed for the Israelites to care for the poor among them. This is not just an Old Testament principle. This is a New Testament principle as well. When we talk about giving, making ministry possible, let, let's look at Philippians chapter four real quick. In Philippians chapter four, Paul does something that he does often in his letters. He references giving as a means of making ministry possible. Verse 15 says, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. What Paul is saying is when Paul started his missionary ministry of the gospel, he didn't have a lot of churches that were supporting him. He would travel far distances to go and to preach the gospel where nobody had heard the gospel where Jesus was not even being named. And he, he was able to do that because there were, there were uh, established churches in his wake that he had planted who were now supporting him financially so that he could go and do this. He says, even when I'm in Thessalonica, and in Thessalonica, the church that was being established there could have given and supported him, but they just weren't there yet. They weren't to that place in their growth and maturity and, and the Philippians kicked in. They said, we got you. We're going to take care of you. This ministry needs to happen. So we're going to fund it and make sure that it happens. But he says something interesting. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. And one of the things we're going to look at before we end today is that giving isn't just about making that ministry possible. When we give, there's actually a return on that investment that, that comes back to us. But before we get to that, well, before I move on from this one, let me just say, the reason this is my favorite point in this message today is because we have to give money to a lot of things. You have bills to pay. You have to pay your electric bill and your gas bill and your water bill 
and your sewage bill and your garbage bill. By the way, if you've never been somewhere where they don't have sewage and garbage service, it's good to go there because you'll come home and go, I'm so glad I get to pay for somebody to come and take my garbage and make it disappear. I'm so glad for, for sewage systems that cause all the waste to just go away. You know, we get frustrated. We're like, man, a sewage bill is always going up. Why is it so much money? Why does it cost so much to throw stuff away? Just be glad that you live somewhere where those things disappear because it's not like that everywhere. But you have to pay for a lot of things. And when you pay for those things and you make that transaction, that's pretty much it. You pay your water bill every month. Well, that water's now been consumed and you're gonna have to do the same thing next month. You pay your, your car payment and your car continues to dis- depreciate in value and it's, and it's rusting because you live in Western Pennsylvania and that money is just disappearing. But when you give to the Lord, when you give to make ministry possible, you, that, that becomes eternal, The ministry lasts forever. The impact of that giving never fades. It never goes away. The souls that are changed through the ministry of the gospel, which is funded by the giving of God's people, which is made possible by the giving of God's people, never fades. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And for that reason, it's my favorite It's my favorite financial transaction to see my money go to ministry that I know God is going to use for eternal good. And so Kim and I, the majority of our giving, of course, is here to Redemption Church, but we've also identified a couple of ministries above and beyond our giving here that we support with just a small gift every month and some things that we love uh, that are happening. And it's such a privilege to be a part of that. We've partnered with a couple that's uh, reaching college students here in Pittsburgh, and, and we support them financially. I have a friend in Malawi who has this amazing vision of starting a seminary there in Malawi. And Malawi is very poor. Um, those who want to go in ministry have very little training options. There's just, there's just not a lot of good infrastructure that enables them to be effectively trained for the ministry of the gospel. And so my friend has a vision. He wants to send 10 um, church planning pastors to the U.S. to be trained at at a particular seminary here that he has a relationship with, and they're letting them come tuition-free, but they have to pay their expenses to to live here while they're here. They're coming here. They're being seminary trained. They're going back to Malawi, and those 10 men are going to plant churches. And once he has 10 guys who have been seminary trained here in the U.S., He's going to start a seminary there in Malawi, and those 10 guys are going to train other pastors so that they can keep planting churches with trained and equipped ministers leading them there in Malawi. I love it. I think it's an awesome vision, and it's something that that I'm, Lord willing, going to see happen in my lifetime. And so Kim and I are supporting them. We're supporting these guys who are here in the States um, being, being trained to go into ministry. That's an amazing opportunity to translate money into eternal worth and eternal value. It's, I saw a meme the other day that said something like, why is it so expensive to live? I'm not even having fun. And that's really the way the world, it's getting so expensive. 
I went to Rey Azteca for lunch the other day. I was having lunch with Sean Fenner and I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, this burrito was just jumping off the page at me. This, this chicken chorizo burrito. And I'm like, this sounds awesome. It had just cheese sauce on the top. I had this picture of it. $21 for a burrito <laughs> that came with beans and rice. Like what is happening to our economy? It's getting so expensive and that may continue to happen. And most of your money is going to disappear and it's going to be gone forever. But when you give, when you give to the Lord, that becomes eternal. Let me make two more points here. The next one is this. Giving should be taken seriously. Giving should be taken seriously. This is not something... Well, let me just let this this scripture speak here and then I'll add my thoughts. In verse 13, under the instructions for this second offering, which was to happen on the third year that they're in the land, says, then you will say in the presence of the Lord your God, you will say in the presence of the Lord your God. Already that has a serious tone. I'm going to say this in the presence of the Lord our God. I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house. I have, given all, I have also given it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children and widows, According to all the commands you gave me, I have not violated or forgotten your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning or removed any of it while unclean or offered any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done all you commanded me. What, he's, what Moses is instructing them, and again, this is a script that they're going to recite, that they're going to have to stand before God and say, I did this the way you told me to do it. I was faithful in what you gave me, and I did what you commanded. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't, and there are kind of strange things in this passage that we don't necessarily understand at first glance, but they're related to other commands. There was a specific way that they were to collect this offering. And apparently, if they had eaten any of it while in mourning, that would have been a violation of command of that command. If they would have removed any of it while unclean, that means ceremonially unclean, and there's instructions for that uh, earlier in the Pentateuch as well, or offered any of it for the dead. There's, there's three things here that they were commanded not to do. Don't eat it while you're mourning. Don't remove any of it while you're unclean, and don't offer any of it to the dead. And now they have to stand before God and say, I did this. I did this the way you instructed me to do it. I have obeyed the Lord my God, and I have done all you commanded me. This is a serious thing. Their obedience to God in this area matters. You don't want to come before God, having violated these commands, go to give your offering and have the priest say, now read this, and you look at it and you go, I can't do that because I didn't obey. I violated this command. Let me show you in the New Testament a really sobering passage when it comes to to this topic. In Acts chapter 5, something really wild and kind of radical happens. Let me set the stage real quick. In in Acts chapter 5, this is after Jesus' earthly ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus, 40 days after he rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, 
in the presence of his disciples. They saw him ascend into heaven. Shortly after that, uh, they were waiting as he told them for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven it dwelled, it indwelled the, the believers and filled them and miraculous things were beginning to happen. Now, this group of people that was gathered during that time, they're gathered in Jerusalem, but they're not all from Jerusalem. Jews and, and Israelites had come from all throughout the region to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost when this happened. And so now you've got people who have traveled, some of them many days on foot, they have traveled to, to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem, but now God's doing something miraculous. They've seen like something new and something amazing is happening. The apostles are doing miracles. The gospel is being preached. People are coming to faith in Jesus daily and nobody wants to leave. And so those who live in Jerusalem and, you know, they traveled, they only brought enough for how long they thought they were going to be there. And now their supplies are running out. They're running out of money. They're running out of food and they're, they're in Jerusalem. They don't want to leave. And so those who, the believers who live in Jerusalem start to sell off property and say, we're going to sell some property and then we'll buy some food and make sure everybody gets to eat. And then this story happens in Acts chapter five, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? In other words, Peter's saying, you didn't have to sell this. It wasn't commanded for you to sell this. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give all the money. You could have kept some of it and you could have come and said, here, I'm going to give half of what I made. But that's not what he did. He came, he gave a portion of it and he said, this is what I made. He says, why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came on all who heard. The young man got up, wrapped his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Use that as a bedtime Bible story with your kids. <laughs> night, night, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a sobering passage, isn't it? And, and the sin was not that they didn't give enough. The sin that they, was that they were dishonest. They wanted credit in the presence of the church. They wanted to be credited for doing something they weren't really doing. They were, they were lying about how much they had to give. And God surprisingly struck them dead. That's wild. That's wild. Now, let's take up an offering. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's, I'm not saying, I'm not saying God is going to strike you dead. However, this is a serious matter before the Lord. And most of us don't take it seriously. 
Most of us very haphazardly decide what we're going to give, if anything at all. Most of us do not pay careful attention to what the scriptures teach us about giving to the Lord. And, and I think God wants us to, to hear this point that this, this is to be taken seriously. This is an important matter. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. When I give to the Lord, my heart follows that gift. I'm invested. I care. How's that ministry that we're supporting going? I'm praying for them. What are their needs? How can, how can I be more involved? My heart follows my giving. And if your giving is, is only directed in one direction, and that is to the temporal things of the world, guess where your heart's going to be? In the world. And most of us have fallen into the trap. I, I see this, especially with my generation. Maybe this is something that the generation before me did as well, but I see this in my generation and, and the generations below me. We, we, we allow the world to tell us how to handle our money. We want a house, so we go to a realtor and we say, I don't know how much I can afford. And the realtor says, well, go to the bank. And the bank looks at your assets and looks at your credit and they say, this is how much you can afford. And then you go and you buy a house that maybe on paper you can afford, but now has tied up way too much of your income so that you have this ongoing burden and stress. And they say, well, I need a car. And so you go to the car dealership and say, how much can I afford? And the car dealership says, well, let's run your credit. Let's check this out. How much is your income? And they say, well, you can afford this payment. And before you know it, all of your money is spent before it even hits your bank account and you're barely getting by. And I get up and I say something like, hey, there's people in Malawi that don't have clean water to drink. Why don't we throw some money together and drill a well for them? And you're like, I would love to do that, but I don't have any money. And it's like, what are you talking about? Your, your household income's like $150,000 a year. I know, but we spend it all. And this, and, and, and we become bound by the way we have handled our money. It's a big problem. And that's a hard hole to dig out of. It's not something you're going to fix this week, but I want to encourage you to take seriously how you handle your money. How can you maximize how much money you're giving to the Lord? I get so insecure saying that because it sounds self-serving because you're all looking at me like, what, do you get a raise if we give more money or something? And that's not really the way it works. But, but I, as your pastor... I want your treasure to be in the right place. I want your treasure to be in the kingdom of God. And I want to see, I want to see you take this seriously because it's a significant part of your spiritual health. And I've heard testimony after testimony, even Friday night at Sarver, someone came up to me right after the service and said, you know, I used to not really give anything to the Lord because I thought I couldn't. And then I started giving by faith and I started I started to tithe, I started to take 10% of my income, and I started to give it to the Lord. And you know what? God has blessed me and blessed me and blessed me so much since then. And I've never been hungry, and I've never owed anybody any money. And that's because, let me try to wrap in this last point real quick, because I'm out of time. Giving results in blessing. This is one thing that the prosperity preachers are getting right. They're just getting it wrong how they're applying it. They're, they're, they're right in that God 
blesses those who give, but they say it like if you give $10 to this ministry, God's going to give you $12 back. It's not always like that. Sometimes it is, but it's not always like that. But, but God does bless those who have placed their heart into the kingdom of God through their giving. Look at verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 26. This is how this passage ends. It says, look down from your holy dwelling from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you swore to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. When they bring their offering and they say, God, I've, I've done what you, what you told me to do. I've, I've treated this right. I've, I've, I've handled appropriately what you've given to me. Now I'm giving you this offering. And the last thing they're supposed to say is say, now would you bless us? Would you look down from heaven and bless your people Israel and bless this land that you have given to us? God blesses when we give. It doesn't, that doesn't mean you get a private jet or a mansion. That's... There's so many messed up things being taught, but I don't have time to get into all that. I think you understand that, right? The point is this, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. The blessing that God promises in response to giving goes far beyond financial, a financial blessing. It says that he is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in which way? Every way. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. You see how important giving is? It's a matter of your own spiritual health. It's a matter of correctly relating to God. It's a matter of correctly functioning within the body of Christ, which God has placed you in. And when we give, rest assured, that giving results in blessing for us, for the church, for people that are unreached with the gospel. When you give, what a lovely picture. When you give, ministry is made possible. But it costs 25 bucks to fill up one of these boxes, another 10 to get it shipped, $35, some kid's gonna hear the gospel. That's awesome. It's always like that when we give though. It's always like that. We just don't always see it this way. God takes our giving and he uses it to do what is eternal. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, so much to think about. And so many competing ideologies in our world. We're going to leave here today and probably see ads for the new iPhone or we're going to see a car that we want to have. We're going to think, boy, it'd be nice to upgrade this house. But God, may we be, may we be countercultural. May we be people who live lives so that we can give, 
May we go to work tomorrow, not only so that we can take care of the earthly things, because those are important. And it's important to take our family on vacation if possible. It's important to drive reliable vehicles if possible. But it's more important to give to what is eternal. Help us to chew on this this week. Help lead our hearts and our minds. Father, give us creativity on how we can, if we're in a financial, if we're bound financially, show us how to get out of that and, and, and be free to support ministry. If we're, if we're already in a position to support ministry, would you lead and guide us how to give wisely and give as good stewards? And in and, and all of this, may we be enriched in every way. May we grow spiritually. May we become more or less burdened by the things of the world and more joyful about the things of Christ. And God, would you build your church through us? Do what is eternal with what is temporary. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.